Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. very special occasion. This is a very special show this evening for you folks. It's my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce to you Mr. Richard Gage, Mick Harrison, and Christina. Um, I have to say, I I don't know Christina's last name. I'm not sure if we're going to be presenting her with her last name. Um, Christina, can you clarify that for us here? Yes, my last name is Borgeson. Ah, okay. Well, it's an honor and pleasure to have all of you here on at once. It's, it's going to be a great time. And uh, Mr. Richard Gage, do you want to start off first and introduce yourself? Well, sure. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, I uh, heard evidence 15 years ago, which disturbed me to my core. Uh, and this was from David Ray Griffin, who's now written 14 books on this subject. And I was just uh, just shocked. And, and so I learned about the destruction of the three World Trade Center towers since then, founded Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, uh, which now numbers uh, 3,500 architects and engineers signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. Uh, and a month ago, after 15 years of nurturing this organization, I have moved on uh, uh, through a series of unexpected events to uh, found my own organization uh, now uh, with a website, uh, richardgage911.org. And I'm a 30-year architect and member of the American Institute of Architects. Understood. And of course, we also have Mick Harrison here this evening, live and in the flesh. He is the litigation director for the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And uh, Mick, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself here. 
Well, thank you, Michael. Um, I am doing the litigation for the Lawyers Committee, served as litigation director for a couple of years or more, and have recently been appointed executive director of the Lawyers Committee, the role I now serve, uh, still doing the 9-11 related lawsuits for that nonprofit. Our nonprofit, the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, has a mission of transparency and accountability regarding the crimes of 9-11. I should add the yet-to-be-prosecuted crimes of 9-11, which includes the demolition of the World Trade Center towers and Building 7 on 9-11. And as you'll hear about shortly, I expect we're expanding our investigation and litigation to go beyond those crimes. Um, I won't... Uh, I won't spoil the punchline. I'll leave that for Richard or Christina. Understood. And before we go to Christina, Mick, you know, we are kind of new with you here. The listeners here, you know, they don't really know too much about you. And okay. I, I just wanted to get, you know, just a little bit of a brief summary of your sort of initial involvement in 9-11. Um, for instance, when, you know, the morning of September 11th, were you at all skeptical of what was going on, or were you just like many other Americans out there who just, you know, kind of sort of went with the narrative and then later on sort of started to investigate and get interested in what may or may not have happened on September 11th? Yeah, that's an interesting question. We all have our stories about what we were doing on 9-11. I was watching television with my extended family, was on a family visit, <clears throat> saw the second plane hit to my shock and horror, saw the buildings then later collapse to my utter amazement. And I'm a public interest lawyer. I've been suing the government for 30 years. <laughs> wow. Back, back in those days, uh, 20 years ago, it was only for 10 years, but I represent whistleblowers and tend to get the inside scoop on government misconduct and a lot of times corporate misconduct. And I, I do interview expert witnesses uh, on the stand, uh, both as their attorney and also cross-examine government experts and corporate experts. And I've learned a lot about science and some about engineering and stuff. When I saw these buildings collapse like they did, I just said, you know, what the you know what? Uh, how right. could that be happening? And I, I didn't know what was going on, but I was thinking to myself, something else must be going on. I was busy with my work, uh, actually in the middle of a whistleblower trial for a uh, chemist at Dugway Proving Ground who was blowing the whistle on the mishandling of chemical and biological weapons. And uh, it turned out to be a 12-week trial, a marathon in Utah. Um, but So I didn't immediately focus my attention on 9-11. But later, I walked into a meeting of a group of environmental activists who I represented in forest protection in Indiana and heard somebody say there were explosives in the building. And I said, what are you guys talking about? And they, they then proceeded to tell me what Richard mentioned, which was about uh, David Ray Griffin's groundbreaking uh, work and reports. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess there was no turning back after that. I began looking into it, talked to who is now my friend Kevin Ryan, who happened to be living in Bloomington, Indiana, where I live, a uh, chemist who's a whistleblower on 9 11, and have never looked back. Understood. And in terms of your work, has there been any sort of conflict at all? Conflict of interest, rather? In terms of who I represent? Sure. Any Anything of that nature, let, let's say, like the judge. Let's say he, you know, does some searching online for Mick Harrison and, you know, he's like, oh, he's uh, one know, of those guys. I haven't had any conflicts. In okay, terms good. Of good, good. There has been 
uh, which may or may not be what you're asking about, an yes, interesting sir. issue that came up with one of our judges. There we go. In our recent lawsuit against the FBI, we sued the FBI uh, a couple years ago because they didn't honor a congressional mandate to do an independent evaluation of all 9-11 evidence. A lot of folks don't know that Congress mandated that in 2013, 2014, but they did. Uh, the FBI ended up doing a whitewash. They created a what's called the 9-11 Review Commission chaired by Ed Meese and proceeded to ignore all the new evidence, including the demolition evidence. Hmm. So we sued them. We lost in the federal court at the trial level. Any luck? And so, wow. so, Richard, well, you need to go on mute there probably. Yeah, too. So um, we, we sued um, the FBI. So hang on. We have background. Richard and Gail, you're, we're hearing you. Are you hearing me? Oh, yes. That's okay. It's okay with me. I yes. don't know if it's okay with Michael. That's all right. He, um, he could join in. That's all right. So um, short version is we appealed to the, to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals. They had a three-judge panel. One of our judges on the panel was um, the person who is now the Attorney General of the United States, um, Mary Garland. And uh, at the time, he was our judge. He was under consideration for being appointed as Attorney General. Uh, and this is a case in which we are suing the Department of Justice, the agency he then became the head of. So there, an issue arose as to whether, you know, when he knew he was under consideration for that job to head the agency we were suing while he was our judge, and what role did he play in a decision that eventually went against us at that level. Uh, we asked the Court of Appeals for a disclosure about those facts, and the court declined to tell us. So we raised that issue with the U.S. Supreme Court in a petition, and we just recently uh, heard in the last, I don't know what it was, a couple of weeks that the Supreme Court has decided not to hear our case. So we may never know uh, what Judge Garland's involvement was mm. in deciding our case against the FBI while he was under consideration to become the boss of the FBI. Wow. Very interesting. So many questions, but of course, we are pressed on time. And Mr. McHarrison, a very intense individual here with um, this story here of suing the FBI. Very intense stuff there. Love that, by the way. And uh, Christina, what, what's going on with you? What What happened um, in your involvement, let's say, for you know, 9-11 and what happened that morning, um, were you also sort of just like everyone else in America? Actually, uh, on 9-11, um, and I, I hesitate to confess this, but I used to listen to Howard Stern in the morning driving into the city. I, w I um, was doing a radio show called The Expert Witness Show with uh, former DEA agent Mike Levine. And uh, and uh, I actually saw the plane across the river as I was driving because I, I live in Jersey and we were I was right across the river and I actually saw the second plane go in and hit hit the tower, the second tower. Yikes. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then and then um, because our studios were down there on Wall Street. And uh, so, I mean, that was my very close encounter uh, with the situation. And um but I actually didn't get involved with the lawyers committee. I mean, I, I, I am a sort of a whistleblower advocate and became one because I was a network producer, uh, worked for the, you know, CBS, CNA and PBS, oh, ABC. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> I, I was asked to look into the crash at TWA flight 800 and, um, 
lost my job because the FBI came after me because someone from inside the investigation who thought the investigation was being corrupted uh, sent me a piece of evidence to test, and that person was being surveilled. And when the FedEx came to me a couple days later, the FBI came after me, and I lost my job at CBS basically as a result of that. And so after that, I, I was so shocked at, you know, the corruption in the press. And, and I was, uh, you know, like I was a big, you know, I was there investigated. I, I had just won an Emmy for investigative reporting. I had broken up a three state, uh, illegal labor smuggling ring. Uh, the head of it had gone to jail, was put in jail for 15 years. They'd been trying to get him forever. And I, I actually, I actually got all his, his uh, accounting paperwork on the people that he brought in and how much he paid for them, how much he paid the coyotes and all that. Yeah. Anyway, you know, fast forward after TWA, I I published a few books on corruption of the press and on my experience with TWA. And then I started working on 17 years later, finally, you know, fast forward. I mean, I, I did other investigative stuff, but fast forward to um, I did this documentary on TWA, finally, we got six whistleblowers, six members of the original and uh, the government's original investigation to come forward, including the senior investigation for the National Transport, senior investigator for the National Transportation Safety Board, who was in charge of reconstructing the plane that that exploded TWA Flight 800 over the over Long Island. So he decided to write an affidavit, do an affidavit, and submit it to the Office of Special Counsel. And I helped him write that affidavit. And it was a very comprehensive affidavit. It had like 50 exhibits to it. And it was basically talking about how explosives had brought down TWA Flight 800 in the form of um, missiles, but not not shoulder-fired missiles they were talking about. And um, But there was, there was all kinds of ordnance on the fuselage, both inside and outside and so on. And these are people inside. These are the government's own investigators talking about this. So I, we did this um, documentary, and I helped him write this thing. And uh, we submitted it to the Office of Special Counsel. And then I found out about the lawyer's committee because people kept asking me on every 9-11 anniversary, people would have me on to talk about official narratives and how the official narrative didn't make sense, the official 9-11 narrative. And that was like one of the few, since I was a refugee from the uh, networks and I I had been a network insider and so on, people were amazed that I was willing to say, yes, something is wrong here. It smells, I'm not quite sure, but whatever. Anyway, when I read their petition talking about the uh, explosives in the World Trade Center uh, debris, the hair on the back of my neck stood up because their petition read so similarly to the, to, to the affidavit that I had helped Hank Hughes from the National Transportation Safety Board, retired by then. Uh, it was the same thing, explosives that they, evidence that they, um, they either, they, got rid of or um, and the FBI was also involved. The FBI, they they were everything was testing positive for explosives on TWA. And so they just stopped testing. I mean, there were so many parallels in the way that the investigations, you know, went and in the way that evidence was suppressed or spoliated that I thought that I I called them. (laughs) I said, hey, I really want to talk to you. 
and I got sucked in. Oh, my. First (laughs) of all, yes. And first of all, Christina, that that Howard Stern broadcast was excellent, by the way. Yeah, Howard was on top of it. It was (laughs) fantastic for those that have not heard. And by the way, Tim Sabian listens in sometimes, and that is another uh, potential project, but I digress. And Christina, you know, you've said enough. I think I might have to decline any further involvement you know, with any future projects with you guys, since you guys are all being investigated by the feds, you know, I don't think I could handle that sort of heat. This might be a bad idea. Oh no, you know, you're in good company when, when, uh, when the, when you're, when you upset the feds, you, you uh, know, you're in good company when that happens. Of so. course. No, I, I, I all, I, I like all of you already and why I did beforehand. And Mr. Richard Gage, I know you're out there listening very, um, you know, you want to jump in here, and there's so much to discuss with you as well, Mr. Gage. And I got to be honest with you. You know, I had no idea that you had any involvement with the whole Spike Lee um, ordeal, you know, until much later on. And it's really insane to me. I had no idea. And then I read this and I see your name there, and I'm thinking, what the hell was going on? <laughs> yeah, I. I get it. Um, well, Spike Lee called me a, a year ago and wanted to talk to us because he had watched our documentary film, 9-11 Explosive Evidence, Experts Speak Out. And he was just moved. I mean, he, he said, I got to get you here. I'm doing a special. It's going to air on September 11th. And, um, and and this was like 11 months later. And he... Uh, he, he, so he, he he flew me to Brooklyn to his studio. I talked to him for two hours on tape, and I gave him all the evidence I could in, in two hours. And then I sent him backup um, uh, graphics and videos. He was just blown away. I mean, uh, he 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 was visibly shaken. And so then uh, uh, he called in other experts that we recommended and family members. And he had put together and crunched it all down to a half an hour segment that he uh, had included in this two-hour uh, s- segment uh, episode of this uh, four-episode miniseries called Epicenter of New York, New York Epicenters. And but about um, uh, a couple of weeks before it aired, he had put out a trailer. Uh, people had watched it. They're giving him all kinds of pressure. Uh, you can't, you can't do this. This is. This is the the best opportunity these conspiracy theorists have ever had to speak to millions. So Slate Magazine uh, quoted uh, me uh, on a, in an obscure interview in a conspiracy conference. I'm just saying conspiracy because all manner of false flag operations were there. And, uh, and, and I had just heard five different um, presentations on, on COVID and, and, and what a a, a scam uh, from beginning to end uh, it hmm. was, and I was pissed off. So I... Um, it was because of COVID. I, I, huh? It was because of COVID. So I told him what I thought about COVID, and he quoted it, and there were some comments in there like, COVID is a deep state false flag uh-huh. operation perpetrated by uh, those who gave us 9-11, and uh, that um, the vaccines are likely to kill us. Uh, I said things about Bill Gates. Uh, anyway, all of that happened in less than a minute. I mean, that's that's the only uh, off-topic uh, time segment that I can remember giving. Understood. About, uh, yeah. COVID. Um, but that, that, they published that. They put it in Spike Lee's face, and he was um, 
must have felt undermined because the uh, he, he, the first two segments, the first two episodes of this miniseries were on the devastation that COVID uh, wreaked upon New York. And he had taken upon himself to uh, work hard to get black people vaccinated because they were underrepresented and there was racism. And, you know, that's Spike Lee's um, incomplete awareness of, of the panoply of false flag operations. But mm-hmm. so he got upset uh, and pulled the 30 minute segment. It was my fault. Yikes. I take responsibility. AE 9-11 Truth had a PR expert and they, uh, he, he had said that this is a PR crisis. You, you've got to, you've got to, uh, let him go. And, and I narrowly, uh, lost, uh, the vote and they, Therefore, let me go. Um, but isn't that a group I'm on that, my own now with but, Richard Gage, yeah. 911.org. But Mr. Gage, I thought you were like the founder of that group. Well, I founded it. I nurtured it. And they could I kick was you its out. Primary spokesperson. And and they were still able to get you out of there. It's a nonprofit organization uh, which runs by a vote of the board. Oh, that's right. The board yes. can remove any officer by a half. A simple majority, and so that's what they did. It was and a mutiny. I made art. What I said it was a mutiny. Well, well it was. It was. Uh, uh, go ahead, Christina. Uh, well, Richard, I, I'm very interested in the fact that he spoke to you, but he also spoke to the other sources that you brought forward to him, right? So sure. just because you made these COVID comments, what is that? Uh, does that discredit all the people that you brought in to talk about the evidence? Good question. Well, yes. it was it was apparently easier for him to axe the whole thirty-minute segment at the end rather than re-edit the whole thing, uh, because oh, I was interested. You know that it. I no, I don't buy that because as somebody who knows something a lot <laughs> about production. And, you know, Spike Lee, let's face it, I'm sure he has uh, the money. He's being paid good, I guess. You can can hire editors to crash things out for you in in no time flat. So I I don't buy that. But I think I do think he came under pressure. He came under pressure for sure. And he did not he did not push back. And that's the disappointment right there. Well, And, and, and that's where people have to be really shocked at the fact that, you know, he brought forward people who brought the evidence. So if you, and he brought the evidence himself. So forget it that Richard Gage said X Y Z about COVID. Look at what he gave you. Is it true or isn't it true? The people that he brought to you did what they give you. Was it was it valid or not? But that that never happens. It never happens. And and the press is a propaganda. Basically, now is just an entirely propaganda. It's pretty clear I, now. I can yes. tell you, uh, they will never, they will never do that. They will never do that. They count, they count on being able to marginalize the truth about these major issues by doing exactly what they did with Richard. It's pretty wild stuff. I had no idea that all this went down just recently. And uh, I'm sure you felt uh, the heat of all this, Mr. Gage. Yeah. And so uh, I was out and it was hard. And, and this is my baby. I've worked on it for 15 years, as I mentioned. And and so uh, what do I do? I'm a fish out of water. I uh, I said, I'm not done speaking. <laughs> That's the first thing I I when I recovered, uh, I came to the realization of and uh, OK, I, maybe I can say things that I couldn't say before. So uh, I am talking about all kinds of things now. And I have a podcast, and we're putting out um, 
information. Kevin Ryan was on most recently, uh, a whistleblower, uh, 9-11. And we've had Barbara Honiger on, who talked about uh, her uh, research in anthrax. How is she doing, by the way? I haven't talked to Barbara in about six years. Is she doing okay? Sure. Nice. Okay. Fantastic. Good, good, good. Now, Barbara is a member of the board, as is uh, Mick uh, on the call today and Christina. And they have uh, seen fit to adopt uh, this orphan uh, who was uh, out at sea uh, uh, flailing a little bit. So I am now on the board of Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, and we are working on a joint project, which is the most exciting project of my 15-year career. And so I'm so excited to uh, to talk with you about Love it. that, yes. Uh, along with Mick and Christina. And by the way, Mr. Gage, where can people listen to this podcast, by the way? Uh, which podcast? Uh, yeah, the oh, one, yes. In general. Yes, yes. Yeah, at, at richardgage911.org. There's about four of them now. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Claudio Marti, who has single-handedly, well, with the team, actually, uh, produced 16,000 uh, banners, 9-11 Truth banners on Facebook profiles uh, for for sixteen thousand people uh, on Facebook, uh, so that we're we're putting the sign out with our face uh, now in the nine eleven truth movement. Well, he's been doing it for ten years, uh, but it is really happening uh, on a massive scale. Very nice, and yes, for many years, of course, you had the proverbial target on your back um, for X, Y, and Z, Mister Gage. You know, everyone wants to blame someone for everything, and some people say, well, he doesn't go this way or that way, so we can't trust Richard Gage or architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. I'm, I'm sure you've heard it all, Mr. Gage. Yes, some people want to want me to blame the Israelis, and if I don't do that, uh, I'm somehow a limited hangout uh, at AE 9-11 Truth, and, and still, I'm not going to be blaming the Israelis. I'm not going to be talking about nuclear weapons at the World Trade Center or directed energy weapons. I'm not going to be doing stuff that doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? I might bring on some guests uh, that have some evidence and we'll let my audience uh, and yours decide for themselves to listen over there. uh, Decide for themselves. Yeah. Understood. And uh, Mr. Mick Harrison, are you still with us? I'm here. I just had a random question for you. Um, what do you make of the whole documentary and the fallout with Richard Gage here? Well, I'm not um, – I wasn't involved at the time. I, just to put in a, a good word from my point of view for Spike Lee, it seems to me that he deserves some credit for having the courage to look at this issue in the first place, to invite Richard to come out, to listen, hear the evidence, and, and incorporate it into a, a video that was planned to be shown. The right. fact that people put pressure on him from the outside – is unfortunate. It's not unusual on this issue. So, you know, I would say Spike in going that far has done a lot more than any other person in the, in the, what would you call it, the major media so far. And, and maybe Spike can use the knowledge he gathered and the courage he has to do something on 9-11 in the future that, you know, that particular program isn't the, the only way to get the word out on the truth. So, you know, I, I was impressed in what Spike was able to do and we don't exactly know who all put pressure on him, but I think, as Christina says, yes, you know, there were there were sources who just don't want the truth out on this, which sort of leads into the new project Richard has mentioned to you that we're planning, which is our way of getting more of that truth out. 
and I'll leave it to you who you want to break the news on that. Yes, I'm excited for that. You know, I'm all in. I would love to help out. And uh, oh, go ahead, Mr. Gage. Not on the defensive. So, um, Richard, we're, your mic isn't muted again, so be careful there. Or, or maybe um, Gales. He's hot mic so, there, yes. So I'm, I'm hearing them somehow. Um, so do you want me to start on the project, or do you want Christina or Richard to give the, the breaking news? Well, actually, um, Christine, I just wanted to get a quick um, sort of follow-up here. You are also sort of not really buying uh, the narrative with Spike Lee here, from what I gather. Well, look, I this is what this is what I know from experience. More than thirty years of experience um, as a member of the press, I was, you know, in mainstream media for a long enough time. I've published books <laughs> about this subject, and look, Spike has a very high profile. The more high profile you have. Uh, the harder people come down on you. And I do not think that Spike Lee is going to attempt another, uh, another project that would look at what Richard and his sources had to offer because his money and his access to the platforms will dry up. That's it, period, you know? And um, so, I mean, I look, I know because I worked the TWA Flight 800 story for two decades almost. Okay. Right. And I had the same. It took me it took me 17 years, 17 years to put together this documentary with six whistleblowers from the inside coming forward. And it came as such a shock. We did get major news coverage, major news coverage. And it came as a huge shock to the the press, obviously, because they had all they had all, you know, put out the the official narrative, which was, oh, there was a mechanical failure, which there was not. And um, so it took a while. But then they started coming back, you know, popular mechanics uh, dissing the dissing our 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 evidence. And, And what we did was every time they did that. We would do a point-by-point rebuttal of of their pieces, whether it was on television or whether we'd do point-by-point rebuttals, and we'd send those rebuttals to the journalists who were involved, to their bosses at the outlets, and uh, and then we would put it on our website, and that and that dried up, that dried up the whole, you know. But it's it's there's a system out there. And it works, and it works very efficiently, and you just have to keep right. butting up against it, butting up. And the best way to do it is to bring, take everything directly to the public, directly to the public. And it's not one of these, we're bringing this to you, you know, we're going to bring you this side, and this side, you decide. It's here are the firsthand sources. Here is the hard evidence. Here it is. And the analysis of these first-hand sources and the evidence is X, you know, it shouldn't be a a project for the public to try and figure things out. That's the work of a journalist and investigator should be doing that work and they're not, but we are. And that's what makes us different too. Very nice. Yes. Because going into the description of Richard's project, what makes us different is that our organization is the only organization that is taking the crime scene 
and taking the evidence from the crime scene and the witness and bringing it to the courtroom. That we're the we're the only organization that actually does that. And Richard, you take it away. That's what your project is all about. Did we lose Richard? He's on mute. He may not realize it. That happens. There he goes. Um, I'm. I mean, I've been putting the evidence out there into the public universe for 15 years, and many others have as well. Um, uh, We've done 700 presentations on this in in 23 countries and 100 American cities, and uh, we've got it nailed down. But like like Christina mentioned, we've never packaged it uh, for a video. It's very well packaged, as Mick will explain, uh, in a set of 60 exhibits that have been handed to the attorney general in a petition for a special grand jury. But now we're taking those exhibits and we're going to bring them to life and we're going to talk right into the eye of the special grand jurors. And they're going to be listening because we're going to give this to them. And we're going to be talking into the eye of the public as well, who will be listening as if they are a grand juror sitting there evaluating the evidence in this series of bite-sized pieces of 10 to 20 minutes that we will put out on each different segment of these exhibits, such as the seismic evidence, the oral histories of the first responders talking about explosions, the freely flying structural steel sections weighing four and eight tons that were ejected laterally out of the towers uh, at 80 miles an hour, landing 600 feet in every direction, thousands of them. And this, uh, the, the, the extreme heat in the molten metal pouring out of the South Tower and throughout, dri- dripping across the, 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 the beams that freaked out the first responders because they never seen molten steel flowing in a fire because fire doesn't do that. Jet fuel doesn't do that. Only incendiaries do that, for which we have also the evidence of ignited and unignited incendiaries in the form of molten iron microspheres, uh, which the USGS documented uh, that, that, that billions of them, but they don't know where they came from. Well, they come from thermite. Thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. It issues 4,000 degree molten iron as its byproduct, for which there is also evidence of unignited nanothermite in the form of small red-gray chips. So we're going to go into all of this evidence, and we're going to put it straight into the face of the jurors. And... uh, and with that in mind, let's turn it over to Mick, because what his tough job is, is to package this and make sense out of it legally and to frame it. Uh, so we'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Richard. So this new project, which Christina sort of let slip our tentative title uh, from the crime scene to the courtroom, you know, 9-11 from the crime scene to the courtroom, we some folks may not realize uh, as Richard noted, we did do a very detailed evidentiary petition to the grand jury, federal grand jury in New York. We had to go through the U.S. attorney as a matter of legal protocol. The U.S. attorney appears from all indications to have blocked 
blocked, as in prohibited, the delivery of our petition to the grand jury. So it's very likely the grand jury has not seen it yet. Uh, that led us to sue the U.S. attorney for obstructing our First Amendment right to petition. Uh, we brought the lawsuit in New York. The federal judge, mistakenly in our view, uh, dismissed our case for lack of standing to enforce the U.S. attorney's admitted mandatory duty to give the petition to the grand jury. And that case is now on appeal to the second highest court in the country, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which includes New York. And that case has been briefed, and we're hopefully going to get oral arguments shortly. What we don't know, Michael, is whether the outcome of that case will be an order uh, requiring our petition to be given to the grand jury. If that happens, then Christina Richard and I and our colleagues at the Lawyers Committee are preparing this this basically video documentary series uh, to explain to the public, as Richard says, sort of putting the public in the chair of the grand juror and letting them see and hear this evidence as the grand jury will see and hear it if we win this lawsuit. On the other hand, if we don't win the lawsuit and the court doesn't order the petition to be submitted to the grand jury, we want the public to understand what that evidence is that the U.S. attorney is keeping from the grand jury. So either way, this set of short documentary films will serve a very important purpose for informing the public, and we look forward to collaborating on it um, The from the legal uh, point of view of how powerful is that evidence. I've said this in a number of public presentations. The, you've got eyewitness testimony from first responders seeing and hearing explosions. You've got evidence found in the dust, residue, and actual unexploded high-tech explosives and incendiaries, this nanothermite material, confirmed in independent laboratory tests. You have the categories of evidence Richards talked about and several more categories of scientific evidence, each of which points in one direction only, which is explosives and incendiaries were used to destroy World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7 on 9-11, unfortunately resulting in the tragic death of over 2,000 people who would not have died simply from the plane attacks. And we, you know, are going to do what we can do. As Christina says, it may be on independent investigators and uh, scientists and engineers and architects and lawyers to bring this out. If the national media won't do it and the FBI doesn't seem to be ready to embrace it yet. So we intend to do it. Um, I'll stop there, but there are a couple other juicy tidbits I'll tell you later. No problem. Yes. And I appreciate that. I just wanted to quickly add, uh, this is all extremely exciting. And I'm so proud that there are people out there that are standing up for uh, something that is truly noble, to be honest. You know, um, there's another there's another part less people think, oh, this this is going to be these things are going to be a series of just dry presentations of this evidence and that evidence and what the law is. So on. Yeah. Part of this series is also for people to get to know Mick and Richard and the other key people who have been working on this for so long to get to know them very well and how they think and what they're doing and to follow them through this process. Okay. So that, so that they, you know, people actually have a sort of a relationship with them and, and in return, the uh, Richard and, and, and Mick are, are going to treat the audience as the, the grand jury that they're trying to get from the judicial system. So it's it's actually going to be 
an amazing, I think an amazing project because you'll, you'll meet the people, you'll see the, you'll get to know them well over the course of all these, um, these episodes and you'll see the evidence. And I think it's going to be incredibly compelling. Very nice. I too have high hopes for this um, project as well. I think it's going to come together very nicely and it will wake up the public even further. And um, let me just ask all of you this question and whoever wants to answer it, please feel free to step forward. Um, I just wanted to quickly say, isn't it wild? Here we are in 2021, almost 2022, and there's still so many people out there that aren't even fully aware that World Trade Center Building 7 went down that morning on September 11, 2001. And lots of folks out there are still believing these official narratives even today. Is that something that blows your mind? Yeah. Uh, it, you know, obviously it doesn't blow my mind. I, I know why it, it happened. You know, um, you when you have a job at the major networks and you're paid better. Like Spike Lee, yes. The average bear. And um, there are a lot of people want your job. And when you go there, you know what the limit, limits are. You know what all the third rail topics are. Right. And the other topics, any topic that you have to deal with, the third rail topic, you know what the narrative is supposed to be. So you don't go to the right or to the left yep. of that narrative. Yeah. And if you yep. do, you lose your job. And exactly. they, they know it. And And now it's become sort of... In a, in, a, in a sense, once they get their – it's called official source reporting. Once you get your official source telling you whatever lie it is they want you to put out, that's what's persistently, you know, repeated. That's what people watch on TV, on CNN, ABC, NBC, Fox. You know, they all pretend that they're all, you know, right, left, whatever – Politics shouldn't have anything to do with journalism, I don't think. Absolutely. You, you, you present the truth, whatever wing it flies in on, right, left, center, I don't care. You know, you, you just, it's the truth, the evidence, whatever. And so when you're constantly doing official source reporting, and the other thing that you're doing is you're calling anything that might be true, but is an inconvenient truth, you're calling that a conspiracy theory which was a concept that was created by the CIA to, to cover up JFK stuff. So that's why you have this massive ignorance. But it's being, it's, it's being broken down now because people have been lied so much to officially and by the press on so many things. You know, the, uh, the Iraq war, the reasons for going to the Iraq war and yes. so on and so forth. So they're wising up now. And so in a way, the situation has has become optimal for bringing the truth forward on this third rail of third rail subjects, you know? Right. And by the way, I just wanted to quickly mention, yes, when you have one of those um, gigs and, and you're normally on television or, you know, once in a while, you know, you do have so many bridges that you can't burn. And of course, you have that high paying job. You can't really rock the boat. And if you do... You know, they'll kind of get rid of you and, and just hire someone else. And that's kind of the way it works. I'm sure lots of folks out there know that already. But for those that don't, you know, that's kind of how it goes in the entertainment world. You know, all these folks you see on television, they're all part of that crowd, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at look at uh, what's happened to Joe Rogan. Right. <laughs> With the COVID issue. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I, I was shocked. You know, I, I was reared in Haiti. 
in Haiti under the Papadoc's dictatorship. When I came to the United States to become a journalist, I, you know, I thought I'd landed in paradise. And I just realized after what happened to me at CBS, because you have to understand at CBS, the FBI came and, and lied to CBS, said, saying that that the evidence that, that was sent to me had been stolen. It had not been stolen. That investigator actually had a legal right to send it to whomever he wanted to, to, to have it tested. And so, you know, CBS protected me. They protected me uh, while, you know, they gave back that evidence to, they actually gave it back to the National Trans Transportation Safety Board. And then they gave me my walking papers after that because they don't want that kind of thing happening over there. You know, somebody made a call, whatever. But my point is, is, is that the mainstream and, and the mainstream press has been bleeding audience for a long time now. The mainstream news has been bleeding audience for a long time now because because people don't trust them. anymore. I mean, they're completely discredited. Right. And how can you blame the general public, though, for not fully trusting their own government? I mean, especially nowadays. Well, well, and that's what what makes makes it an exciting time for us to have a project like this this one that we're talking to you about because we really feel that uh, there's it's going to be very well received. Let me just quickly add to that. Let me let me just quickly add to that. And, I, and Christina, I, I hate to interrupt you. It's so rude of me, but I just wanted to quickly add to what you're saying and the importance of this sort of documentary. Is because well, the reason why I feel that way is because I feel like the proverbial walls are sort of closing in, and freedom of yep. speech is being limited every day. So you know, these might be the final days of having sort of quote unquote freedom of speech. Well, uh, let me add something to that, Michael. The in terms of picking up on Christina's point about the FBI's yes, misconduct in, in her case, uh, one of the juicy tidbits about the new project we were doing is that it will have a significant focus in at least one of the components of the new documentary films looking at government misconduct, FBI misconduct, and the concept of government cover-up related to 9-11. There are three major mysteries, at least, involved with the crimes of 9-11. The first one is why did three steel-framed steel buildings, high-rise buildings, fall down for the first time in history on the same day? Richard Gage and his colleagues and a lot of other independent scientists and engineers have at this point solved that mystery. That the answer to that mystery is now known, and you'll get the details of it in our in our film series. The second mystery is why hasn't the government government embraced and the FBI embraced the now dispositive scientific and eyewitness testimony on the use of explosives? And the answer to that is likely that there has been a government cover up regarding that evidence. Um, and we are going to explore the evidence not only of the demolition in the film series, but the evidence of a government cover-up. Mr. Gage, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> I thought you were going to jump in there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm uh, just uh, agreeing wholeheartedly that, that the, the cover-up is not just the media and, and, the, and, and the government, but the agencies that were tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people, NIST in particular, the right. National Institute of Standards and Technology, their entire final report on the destruction of these three towers, two different reports, one on the Twin Towers, one on Building 7, is a complete cover-up from the beginning to the end, uh, starting with incredible obfuscation 
Uh, it's a 10,000-page report on the Twin Towers. And they were tasked to explain the collapses. But on they had their own agenda. On uh, footnote um, 93, uh, uh, footnote 13 on page 93, they actually admit that they didn't explain the collapses or analyze them. Uh, they have a one half of a page in the 10,000-page report that merely speculates that the upper section drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then crushed itself, uh, that the upper, the lower section was not able to withstand uh, the, the forces generated. There's no analysis whatsoever. And they stop, they also admit that they stop their complete analysis at the initiation of collapse. They're allowed to do that, though, uh, Mr. Right. Gage. They, they, I said they're allowed to do that, though. You know, they run the game. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, we exposed their game. And, um, and, and, that, and we're going to do that for the grand jury as well. They stop their complete analysis um, at the initiation of the collapse because if they gone any further than that, they would have to have included all of the evidence that we're going to be showing the grand jury, most of which happens uh, after the initiation of collapse, including explosions 20, 40, even 60 stories down below the, uh, the zone of destruction that we're told is a gravitational collapse. By the way, just I just wanted to quickly add, for those that don't know this uh, little story, um, during that morning of September 11th, back in 2001, my father was sort of exercising and he said, um, you know, he, he woke me up in the morning and he said, come look at the TV and, you know, we're seeing the World Trade Center on, on fire. We don't know what the hell is going on. And, you know, that morning, I actually got in trouble later on in the afternoon um, in high school, by the way, uh, for raising my hand and asking the teacher in my seventh period class, you know, after all the after all the excitement sort of died down we're in the afternoon, you know, I raised my hand and I said, what if the World Trade Center towers were perhaps not exactly a terrorist attack. Maybe it was sort of an inside and outside job. And I got kicked out of class right away. <laughs> Congratulations. You know, by the way, when by I the saw way, that it was just so fishy. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Christina. Well, you mentioned that, you know, Richard was talking about NIST. And their report, and you said, you know, that they're allowed to. They're to allowed, yes. Run that game, they and play that they game. actually aren't. You know, well, there are not. laws against right. uh, government agencies putting out fraudulent uh, reports and and lying in reports or hiding things in report. If, That's if what I'm the, not mistaken, yes. Nick, no, you're right. I've heard, I've heard rumors of that. Yes. I, we've yeah. heard that. That's what the <laughs> FBI does. You know, they are responsible for. You know, it, there's a weird pattern where it seems like all these. Folks, they they're always keeping tabs on them. They sort of know their moves, and you know they don't really take action. Yet they kind of have a whole scenario already laid out. Um, that's kind of what you see when all these, um, I guess, quote unquote, false flags or terror drills. You know, they're not always like that. I'm not trying to get into conspiratorial world or anything, but I know both. Of, I know well. Perhaps I know. Well, I shouldn't say I know. I'm assuming that all of you are aware that. You know, there were war games and terror drills being conducted the morning oh, yeah. of 9-11. Yeah. And, you know, furthermore, you know, there's also another thing called Crimson Contagion that also went down back in, I think, August 2019 about a sort of respiratory virus that was coming from China that first 
started spreading in Chicago. I mean, these are things that actually happened. You know, it's a matter of public record that there are these things that went went down. Um, I just think there's a lot of correlation between, you know, these incidents that happen. You could sort of connect the dots and, you know, let them tell you uh, many things, for other words, and so many other words, rather. Yeah, those um, areas are areas we're still looking at. Our investigations are broadening, and we haven't reached conclusions regarding all of the aspects 9-11, but it does look like it was planned sometime in advance. And those terror drills are an area we are looking at. I will add to this point about uh, FBI and National Institutes of Standards of T- Technology involved in what appears to, appears to be a cover-up of evidence regarding demolition that, you know, the third mystery, which I haven't mentioned yet, of the three I was referring to about the 9-11 crimes, the first is why did the buildings fall? The second is why isn't the FBI embracing the evidence? Right. That's dispositive. The third one is who did it, the who done it part of it. And we hope that our new project with the looking at not only the demolition evidence, but the evidence of government cover up may help get to that. The answer to that third mystery, because the government has decided or certain elements of the government has decided to insert itself between citizen investigators, maybe even in some law enforcement entities and the wrongdoers. So that's what the cover up, the government cover up does. It prevents the truth coming out about who the real wrongdoers are. And in order to get to those real wrongdoers, you have to expose the government cover-up, break through it, and then you can start to really investigate the whodunit. Oh, yes. And we hope we hope to get to that stage through this project. And I will note that, at least from my point of view, I hope this project turns out to be somewhat interactive, which means that the public sitting in the seat of the grand juror can actually help us as we go through this project month by month in furthering our investigation by sharing information with us. Yes, now is the time, and conspiracies are real, ladies and gentlemen. That's why people go to jail for them. Oh, they happen every day. Unless you work for Enron, and then, you know, sometimes you get away for a while, and, you know. Yeah, yeah or your records get destroyed in a World <laughs> Trade Center 7 building collapse. Oh, yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it's just a... It's a um, just a random coincidence, nothing to see here. You know, even if you buy the official narrative of what happened that morning, it still doesn't really clarify what happened to Building 7. No. No, and I think when you look at the evidence of demolition that Richard has so artfully presented, and when you watch Building 7 collapse, there really isn't a meaningful question that, you know, explosives were used, and the case has been made that, you know, that explosives were used for the towers as well. That case is now dispositive from a scientific and legal point of view. So, you know, when you start thinking, what does that mean? What are the implications of that from an evidentiary or legal point of view? One of the things it means to me is that Building 7, which must have had explosives pre-placed in it like the towers, was probably intended to be hit by an airplane, which did not make it. And that probably means that something went wrong with the well-planned plan. And if that's the case, there is a vulnerable point there for further investigation. Absolutely. Um, Richard, Mick, and Christina, you know, even seeing that as a little boy, I still was quite suspicious about Building 7. I thought, well, that's, you know, <laughs> well, what happened? I kept well, thinking. let's tell people, yeah, let's tell people what we're talking about. Because you may have a majority of your viewers who are familiar with this building, but uh, there's always somebody. There's always someone, yes. Listening, someone you who doesn't, and, and it's good for us all to be reminded of the facts 
because this is a 47-story skyscraper, which on the afternoon of 9-11 at 5.20, this mammoth building, each, each floor is the size of an acre. Uh, and uh, we, it wasn't hit by an airplane. Never. So uh, it, it doesn't and, – and, and, and according to the official story, nobody died in the, pl- in the building. So, uh, but witnesses hear explosions, a lot of them. And then this building drops like a rock straight down uniformly, symmetrically into its own footprint Amazing, yes. in under seven seconds. And a third of that was at free fall acceleration, which is as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. So this is an extraordinary thing. A phenomena which we only see in controlled demolition. It was a miracle. Fires never caused, in fact, a skyscraper to collapse uh, by, uh, 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 that is to say, a a steel frame fireproofed skyscraper, to be exact. Except on 9-11, when we have not two, but three such buildings collapsing uh, uh, straight down, uniformly symmetric, and and in the case of Building 7, into a, a small pile centered in the footprint of the building. So this this is just in and of itself, besides the forensic evidence of incendiaries, which are mammoth, uh, overwhelming, and irrefutable uh, for this building, uh, that behavior of the building alone is direct evidence of explosive destruction, which is why we want to show it to the grand jury. And we are going to do just that. But you know what, uh, Mike, we can't do that with the funds available in our own pockets, because it's minimal, trust me. Uh, I just got, uh, uh, I'm on my own now, starting all over again. So um, we have to appeal to our audience, in this case, your audience, uh, to to come and, and visit uh, Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry website, which is LC4FOR. 911.org. That's LC4FOR911.org. So they can help us, you guys out there, can help us make this film a reality, put this evidence in front, in the, in the eyes of the grand jury and the public. Oh, yes. And so uh, this is our first fundraising uh, effort of our, of our uh, campaign, which will last a couple of months. So you're the first to hear it, Mike. And I love that. Your audience. Breaking news. I really do appreciate that. And yes, go ahead and help the fight. They appreciate the kind of money that jingles, but they rather get the kind that folds, as they say. <laughs> and yes, I, I would love for everyone out there to, you know, donate and, and fight for a noble cause. I mean, this is quite important. This is the biggest story of, of them all, aside from what we are facing today, you know, 9-11 and COVID-19, the two biggest elephants in the room i would say yeah yeah well put oh yes and um in our closing statements here i you know i hate to do this i would love to talk to you even longer all of you um mr gage i want to start with you first and any any closing statements you have or anything you feel you might have missed go ahead and mention that now um thank you uh, uh it's a whole new chapter of my life that is laid out before me, and I couldn't be more delighted uh, to be in partnership with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, who have established their integrity over the last uh, uh, six to ten years. 
Yeah. Five years? Yeah. We weren't, we didn't have integrity before that. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. I mean, this, this is, this assemblage of attorneys is, is incredible. The work that they've done in the last five years is, is, is astounding. And uh, for me to be uh, adopted by them and invited into this this uh, effort, this joint effort to make this film a reality and to work with them uh, as technical advisor on their other projects, uh, I am just overwhelmed with joy and empowered uh, to keep on keeping on here with them. So uh, again, I encourage everybody to to visit lawyerlc4911.org. And also um, the website that we're creating uh, for uh, the new organization, Richard Gage 911, which is richardgage911.org. Uh, but the fundraising for the film needs to go over to lc4911.org. Very nice. And Christina, go ahead. Well, I would just want to say that anybody who might be thinking, oh, 911, that was so, you know, many years ago, whatever. Um, this, this is incredibly important because 9-11 is the crime that keeps on giving. 9-11 is, is why you go to the airport and, you know, you have to stay in those long lines and you have to go through all kinds of security and this and that. Uh, 9-11 is, is why you're being surveilled to within an inch of your life. 9-11 is why your tax dollars are going for these foreign wars instead of to education and, or our, you know, crumbling infrastructure or whatever. I mean, there's so many things that are connected to 9-11. And as as Mick said, these all these huge crimes, these global crimes, um, you know, the culprits uh, are all in the same club. Let's put it that way. So this is a very immediate. This is a very now thing. And um, we are as close this as a group, we're as close to all, you know, the evidence and to, you know, identifying the culprits. And we're the ones trying to get these things into the courts. We're the only ones. So your support would mean everything. And well, I forget that film with with um, I, I forget the um, film where he was a uh, Tom Cruise was a sports uh, <laughs> He was a sports agent where he goes, help us, help me help you. That's how I feel about this. Help us help you to make this a different world and a different country. Very nice. Well said. And of course, that leaves us with one last voice, Mr. Mick Harrison. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, Michael. Um, I would ditto my colleagues' comments. I'm proud to work with them on this project. This is still a current issue more than you may want to know. We did do not only an investigation of the demolition, the Trade Center on 9-11, we also did an investigation of the anthrax attacks that came on the heels of the 9-11 attacks, meaning two weeks after is when the anthrax attacks started. Uh, we have a petition to Congress and to a grand jury on that set of attacks as well. I'm sorry to report to you that uh, the FBI got that one wrong. It's like they haven't gotten to the bottom of the 9-11 attacks. And so the bad news of the day is perpetrators of both sets of attacks, the 9-11 demolition attacks where 2,000 plus innocent civilians were murdered by the use of explosives pre-planted in the buildings and the anthrax attacks where a number of folks were murdered and where two U.S. senators were targeted, fortunately were not killed, but they could have easily have been killed. 
the perpetrators of those sets of attacks, which appear to be related based on our inquiries, are still out there. Repeat that. The perpetrators are still out there. So until we get to the bottom of those crimes and break through the government cover-up and solve the whodunit part, those perpetrators are going to be free to commit future acts of violence against us, against the government, whatever suits their purpose, and we're going to be vulnerable. And, you know, I would like to say that I'm an independently wealthy lawyer who can fund this. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Uh, I'm a public interest lawyer, and I sort of make ends meet month to month. We really do need your help to pull this off. It's a team thing, as Margaret Mead would say, a small group of people with hopefully several million people supporting us who believe in the cause. So we we do really need your help. Yes, Mick Harrison doesn't have the Johnny Cochran sort of money. That's what he's saying, folks. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Yes, but we do appreciate him very much. Mr. Harrison, thank you for that. Um, I think you're quite intense, and I love that about you, Mr. Harrison. I believe you are the man for the job. Thank you. I do what I can. He is. Love that. And Mr. Gage, I do want to thank you, and I do want to thank all of you out there for spending all your time with me this evening. It's been a pleasure and honor to speak to all of you very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. We will yeah. do it again. Uh, yeah, we'll do it again, and we'll have more time this this time around. But once again, I do want to thank you for being on the program, and we will chat again very soon. And there they go, boys and girls. What can I say, folks? That was simply amazing. I want to thank them all for being a part of the program, and please support them, folks. Make this documentary a reality. My goodness. I hope you enjoyed this ride this evening. I will return. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this island Earth. Guten Morgen to our friends in Germany, by the way. Much love and respect to you all. I am quite prosperous. Reporting to you live, well, not so live, from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael Deacon, and it's been an honor and pleasure being inside your head. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, sweet dreams.